Back to throw off Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins each and every day. How is it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, another edition of Finn's Flashback, as we are going back to opening day 1994 and a thrilling Dolphins 39-35 victory. Dan Marino, fresh off the Achilles injury, throws for five touchdowns in the pouring rain, three of which went to my guest today, Irving Fryer. We'll talk to him about Marino playing in the mud against his former team and all those long scoring plays on this Friday, May the 15th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And we are going back in time to 1994 on today's edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And as the broadcast of that particular game says, this was the first game of Marino's career where he was coming off a prolonged absence in his career because of that 1993 Achilles injury. It was the first time he really missed significant time in his entire career. And the 90s were just a different time when it came to sports. This wasn't a time where ACL injuries were essentially a six to eight month prognosis. This wasn't a time where quarterbacks played well into their 40s, and it certainly wasn't a time where players coming off a serious injury on the wrong side of 30 just returned to form, but Marino did, and it started in that game. You watch that game, and he is laboring throughout the whole thing. It's actually kind of painful to watch. He's got that clunky brace on. Every step comes with a significant hunch favoring one side of his gait. They played an interview on the telecast with Marino from training camp where he said at this point, he's just tired of talking about the injury and in the midst of the Michael Jordan documentary and that mentality that I'm just going to go win games no matter what it takes. I mean, there were certainly elements of that there in Marino's game and you kind of sense that from that interview. So, So it's 1994 season opening game. The Patriots and Bill Parcells and second year quarterback Drew Bledsoe, go Cougs, are coming to town. This was also just after the Marlins moved in to what we now know as Hard Rock Stadium, Joe Robbie Stadium at the time. And the rain had been pretty steady for about two hours, maybe 90 minutes before kickoffs. So you've got this whole mess of a football slash baseball conversion field when the Dolphins line up for point after tries after touchdowns on the infield dirt, and there were plenty of those. They snapped it from the left hash, and the holder even moved over just enough to be able to place the ball on the grass for Pete Stoyanovich to kick from. When they pan to the sideline shots, it looks like they're on a beach. The sideline just has excess dirt and mounds of mud, and I'm not talking that nice hard sand that is hardened by the tide of the ocean. We're talking back of the beach sand where you can build up some nice Johnny Drama calf muscles within just one workout session. The Dolphins come out of the gates a little bit slow in the game, and even the broadcast booth mentions that the previous two preseason games were not the Dolphins' sharpest, and I think that showed early on. Marino was a little bit off, some passes were dropped, but things eventually got turned around, and the Dolphins rip off a 39-35 victory. There were three lead changes in the fourth quarter, and they scored four touchdowns in the second half, and three of those touchdowns went to wide receiver Irving Fryer, who joins me now on the Drive Time Podcast. 
And joining me now on the Drive Time podcast is Dolphins wide receiver from 1993 through 1995. He went to two Pro Bowls in those three years, including the 94 season that started off with a victory in the opener. He is Irving Fryer. Irving, thank you for joining me today. Good to see you. Good to be here. It's amazing how we have to do these kinds of things now. <laughs> Online, podcast, and Zoom. It's it's uh, different times now, isn't it? Hopefully someday in the future we can have you into the actual studio at the facility. But for now... We have to make do with what we have. And I want to start kind of in that area, Irving, because first thing, I always like to ask the alumni, if you will, what are you up to these days? And obviously right now it's a little bit different, but let's say pre-COVID, what have you been up to in your uh, post-playing career? I was going to say I'm staying safe and staying at home. No (laughs) other options. my mask on and minding my business. That's that's what I'm doing right now. But uh, prior uh, to COVID-19, um, I am the uh, chief operations coordinator at the Youth Challenge Academy. I don't know if you know what that is all about. There's about 36 of them around the country. It's a quasi-military uh, setting where we bring in uh, somewhere between, anywhere between 85 to 100 uh, youth. They're ages 16 to 18, male and female. They're, they're they're not, they're disconnected youth. They're not troubled youth. They come from obviously dysfunctional backgrounds, difficult backgrounds, and we house them in a military base. Uh, they put on, they have uniforms, uh, and they're in danger of not graduating from high school. So what we do in a five and a half month period of time, 22 weeks, we, uh, we educate them, the basic skills, you know, the English, the math, the science, the history, all of that. And at the end of the uh, five and a half months, they take their GED test, pass their GED test. They don't get a GED. They actually get a New Jersey, a state of New Jersey uh, high school diploma. And then we engage them with uh, other entities to keep them moving in the right direction. So uh, I am the chief operations coordinator for that facility and uh, proud, proud of it because we do a lot of great work there at the challenge yeah i think that's certainly something to be proud of as far as a post-playing career one of the more unique answers i've heard so far so congrats to you on all that success that sounds really cool and and very admirable definitely and uh kind of kind of hard to transition out of that into football but i'm gonna try my hardest here and 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 ask you you know we we were talking about you and i were talking about how we watched the 1994 season opener dolphins and patriots one of the classic games in team history and the first thing i wanted to ask you on here irving was how important was it i know it was your second year in Miami but how important was it for you to have a big game against your former team real important what do you mean <laughs> it, it meant the world I mean I um uh, I had been traded asked to be traded to Miami and, that, and that's just there's a story behind that I had been trying to get out of New England for years and um it just so happened every time I, we would play Miami we played Miami twice a year uh probably going back six years before I actually came to Miami Every time we played Miami, I would go up to Coach Shula after the game and shake his hand and say, Coach, you got to get me out of here. You got to get me out of here. You got to get me out of here. And he would laugh. He would laugh. And finally, when we asked to be traded, we called Miami and they pulled the trigger. So, sorry, that's all. That's my guys working. <laughs> I asked to be traded and um, they traded me. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to play well for sure. Well, I, I got to ask you, I got to kind of peel the onion back. Can you give us some more on those conversations with Shula and, and the reception of, the, of that request? Well, I mean, it was basically just that. It wasn't a, it wasn't a whole lot of back and forth. 
it was, you know, after the game when guys come up and they shake one another's hands, it's not a whole lot of conversation, but I would always make it a point to make sure I found Coach Shula, go up to him and shake his hand, say good game, and let him know, listen, I, I'm trying to get out of here. Can you can you help me out? <laughs> and we finally did get it together. So I, it, was just a, it was just a pleasure to be able to come down there. And, uh, you know, uh, he was a great man. We know he passed away just recently. Um, our condolences to his whole family, to his wife. But man, he was he was the best. He was the goat. You know, forget Tom Brady. Coach Shula is the goat. I, you're you're preaching to the choir here, sir. I mean, that's that's what we talked about all last week on this podcast, and so many great comments and, and just notions and stories about Coach Shula over the last week here on MiamiDolphins.com, Drive Time Podcast, and everywhere you can find all of our content. And you talk about a goat. Now you come down to South Florida and link up with another goat at the quarterback yeah. position. You said forget Tom Brady. I agree. Marino is in fact the goat. But I want to ask you this question. He, he got injured your first year here. So yes. what was your thoughts when you finally get to Miami, you get to play with this legendary Hall of Fame quarterback, and a few games into the season, he's out? I, must, I, I thought it was me. I said, I must be like schlep <laughs> If I think it go wrong, it will. Yeah, when I got there, he had never been hurt before. Yeah. He had never missed a game before. And I come into town. And he busts his Achilles. What is that? I mean, I mean, that's a, that's an injury where a lot of people don't come back. So it didn't look good. It didn't sound good. It didn't feel good. So um, yeah, I was I was very uh, not disappointed. I mean, we don't get hurt on purpose, but I just I didn't think things were going to go. You know, when that happened, I didn't think they were going to go as well as they did. He, he was walking around that day, five touchdown performance, so obviously it didn't affect him all that much, but he had a really pronounced limp. Is that something that he was doing throughout the course of training camp in the preseason? Well, he did that for the rest of my time there. Mm-hmm. I think even now when you see him walk, he still has a little bit of a hitch in his giddy-up. So um, uh, I think that just never went away. Um, I don't know that it's painful for him. I just think maybe that there's just – a, a, a space there or whatever that causes him to to have that definite limp but he he carried that limp you know from the time he came back until the time I left Miami and even now I think the, I saw him a few months ago uh down actually it was last year down in Miami I think he still does limp from that yeah he he definitely carried it through the rest of his career but he did have a long career after that too and I'm curious right. to know when did you guys know like Obviously, you go through practice and the enti- entire offseason program. You get the preseason. You finally get out there for opening day. When did you know, like, okay, Dan's Dan again? Um, when he came back. You know, when he came back, we knew, or at least I knew, that he would not come back uh, and he would not play if he wasn't right. Um, though he did have the limp, Dan wasn't a great uh, mover anyway. He's not a fast guy, but he's, he's elusive. I can remember times Dan saying to me, watch me make this guy miss in the pocket. Watch me. And, he just, and it's just a step or moving his shoulders. But he was very, very creative when it came to that. He was very uh, elusive when it came to just making the right step in the right direction, knowing where guys were around him, knowing where the soft spot in the pocket was and being able to get there to buy a little more time to give us an opportunity to get over. That's a perfect transition to my next question for you here because he has a run for a first down right at the end of the first quarter there, and he kind of dives into the mud, and it looks kind of awkward. You know, Dan doing his thing. How how fast was your heart beating on that play? Well, I mean, now you got to understand, when quarterbacks ran when I played, that was a part of the game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's People didn't worry about them getting hurt. You, you know, I didn't him, worry right? about Dan getting hurt or hurting his foot again or hurting his Achilles again. I'm sorry. Um, that was a part of the game. That's what we did. Now, 
It's like playing tat flag football. You don't want the quarterback to run and don't touch the quarterback. So no, I, I it didn't uh, it didn't bother me at all. And as a matter of fact, it was encouraging just yeah. to let me know that Dan was engaged. That Dan was you know he's all out. He's all in. Let's get it going. It almost seemed like the moment when the offense kind of started to get things clicking a little bit because you guys don't score any points in the first quarter, and then from there, <laughs> it was on. And so I was curious to ask you, because it, it was a little bit sloppy at first, and the weather could have had something to do with that. First game of the season, first game back for him. There was a couple drop passes, some off-target throws, and he, he looked like he was getting frustrated. And so that makes me curious, Irving. What's it like to be on the other end of a Dan Marino ass-chewing? Ah, <laughs> I never did get a Dan Marino... Uh, <laughs> Ass chewing, as you would call it. Uh, I've seen him try. I think that changed a little bit when we got there. Myself and Mark Ingram and Keith Jackson and Keith Byers. Um, I think Dan knew that we were a little bit different than the guys <laughs> that he had been uh, dealing with prior to us coming there. So, yeah, Dan would get upset. And, and that just meant he, he really was into what he was, you know, he, he cared about what we were doing. He wanted to win. He's a competitor. We all get upset. We all get mad. Nobody makes mistakes on purpose. At least I don't think so. Um, but that really never happened while I was there. Um, it may have happened with a couple of guys that may have not been starters, like in practice, doing something stupid, running into a starter and maybe hurting a starter. I remember one day I got poked in the eye by one of the uh, DBs who weren't, uh, weren't a starter. And everybody was upset with the guy because I had to mispractice and, and, you know, I was – I couldn't see for a little while. So, um, but I never, I never was on the other end of that. Um, I don't think it would have turned out too well if it, if it did ever happen. Uh, it wouldn't have turned out too well for Dan. So, <laughs> I, I love it. Is that something you would tell him today? Oh yeah. He, and he knows he, yeah. he, he knew me. I wasn't, you know, I was the kind of receiver. Yes, I did catch balls. I, I could run, but I was, I just wanted to go out there and knock somebody's head off. That's what I wanted to do every game. I would tell other receivers, when you catch the ball, run my way. And whoever's chasing you is not going to catch you because I'm taking them off your shoulder. Um, that's what I wanted to do. That's, that's how I prepared myself for the game, to be physical. Uh, Heinz Ward is not the first receiver. He's not the one that invented the physical receiver. That was, that was me. <laughs> that was me. Uh, and I think if you ask guys that I played with or played against, They'll tell you the same thing. Well, I love it. And that's part of a 16-year career for you there, Irving, which, I mean, 17. At that time, you missed one. 17. 17. Don't short me. My, Don't short me. <laughs> I wouldn't dare. My apologies. <laughs> I got you one. Maybe I think Dan was 17, too. So there you go. Good company there. Yeah. One more Dan question for you, then we'll get to your game sure. here. Sure. He, he threw his 300th touchdown pass of his career in that game. You obviously were part of a lot of special moments in your career as well. Where does that rank for you in terms of all-time, like, teammate accomplishments that you were very happy to be a part of? Well, I didn't catch 300. I caught right. 301, 302. Yep. Um, <laughs> and 303, I think, right? And 303, yeah. yeah. And 303. Um, I mean, it was just a part of history. I'm a part of history. I'm, I'm, I am honored uh, that you have me on your show uh, reflecting back on a game that I played in that's considered a classic. I didn't know it was a classic or considered a classic game. I was watching TV the other night, and my cousin texted me, and he said – the classic game is on Miami Patriots, first game of the season, 1994, whatever it was. And so I turned it on and watched it myself. I didn't know it was a classic. So it's just an honor to be connected uh, with, with moments like that, with people like that. Dan Reno, Coach Shula, people I played with over the years. Uh, it's, it's just 
it's just great to be able to say I know those people and they know me. Let me tell you a fun story that you'll appreciate here. I, I so I'm I grew up in Washington State. I'm a big a Dolphins fan my entire life. But I used to get uh, VHS copies mailed to me from a friend who had all the Dolphins games on VHS, and he sent me that one back in like 2005, and I popped it on and watched that thing religiously. I loved that game because you guys were so explosive and so much fun to watch. So it definitely is a classic, Irving. I'm glad that you are very well aware of that at this point. And part of the reason for that was because all those touchdown passes. The 300th touchdown pass was the second of the day for Dan. Then you go right. four or three more after that, all of them to you. And the first right. one, an absolute bomb for 54 yards, almost hit you right in stride. And that was the second time you got behind the defense. What was it about the coverage that allowed you to keep getting behind them like that? Well, I just, I knew those guys. Mm-hmm. I played with those guys. I knew I could outrun all of them. I didn't have to give any moves. I didn't have to do a whole, whole lot. I just knew once I got an opportunity to be one-on-one with any of them, and Dan knew that too because I told him that I could outrun them. All he had to do was throw the ball up, and I could get get to the ball before they they did. So uh, they knew it. Um, again, like you said, early in the game, we were just – I guess we were a little bit sloppy trying to uh, get it together. It was the first game of the season. Um, there was an unexpected uh, glitch with the field. You know, the field had been rained on. It wasn't covered, so it was a quagmire in the middle of the field. So that was something that we didn't anticipate, something that we didn't expect. And I think uh, even that may have thrown us off a little bit. But, yeah, we, we started out a little bumpy. But then things certainly got cranking. The next one was a flea flicker where you go all yeah. the way across the field in like a deep over route. And Maurice Hurst gets caught peeking in the backfield, the big no-no there. And I was right. curious, was that something you guys saw on film? Like, hey, we can go after him right here. Was it an in-game adjustment? Or how did that call come to fruition? Well, that was something we saw on field film, just like we saw uh, we played them another time up in New England and they were uh, running a corner blitz and people were adjusting to the corner blitz by running a hitch with the receiver. So we decided we're going to run a hitch and go because the safety had to come down to cover the corner where the corner was leaving to come to cover the receiver. I'm sorry. So we do a hitch and he comes flying down, hitch and go. And I scored a touchdown on that <laughs> in, my, in New England. But, um, yeah, and it was also the fact that I was running in and, and blocking the safety on most of the runs. Right. So I would leave where the corner was and take an inside release and run at the safety like I was going to block him with the, with the uh, running back receiving the ball from the quarterback in the backfield. The safety starts coming down. He's trying to beat me, trying to get to the runner. I just take off right behind him. Yeah, it was. So it all it was worked perfect. together. It all worked together. It was so perfect. You, the way you mentioned it, it, was, it just looked perfect on on the replay yeah. on the actual broadcast version. And then though, Irving, you get into the end zone and you hit him with a dance. Now you told me there was a story behind that dance. Let's go ahead and hear that. Well, that it wasn't actually a dance. It was. Um, <laughs> I would imitate. That's what my pastor Robert R. C. Stanley uh, in Pompano Beach at Hopewell Missionary Baptist Church. He would do that in the pulpit. When uh, when he'd get excited or when the Holy Ghost would hit him, he would he would stomp his feet and shrug his shoulders. Yeah, shrug his shoulders like that. So I was I was doing my imitation of him uh, in honor of him in honor of the church. That's what a what a great ode that was. A great homage to be paid there. I, I loved watching it. And then finally, the fourth and five game on the line. You guys are behind at this stage of the game late, and there goes number eighty again behind the defense. What like when did they? How come they didn't learn their lesson there? Well, uh, you guys, I guess you guys don't know about that play. This, this is what that play really let me know I had been released from hell when I left New England and came to heaven in Miami. Now, in New England, 
we did whatever whatever play was called in the huddle, that's what we had to run. If it just so happened to be the wrong play, we chalked it up. And this is my whole time in New England through all the different coaches. If it happened to be the wrong play, we just chalked it up as a win for the defense. But we never were able to make audibles. You had to hurry up and do things as a receiver, hurry up and get open, straight line, whatnot, and so forth. Whatever it was called, that's what we ran. I came to Miami, and we had situations where Dan could come up to the line of scrimmage and give me a signal, and whatever play was called was off. It was just he and I at that point. And that's what happened in that play. We had a different play called in the huddle. We come up to the line of scrimmage. It's fourth and five. Game is on the line. We don't get the first down. Game is over for us. Dan comes up to the line of scrimmage and gives me a go. And it's me and him. Ran by him, caught the touchdown. Game was over. And thank God I'm watching the game the other day. The uh, There was a, a triplet set on the left side. I was on the right side. And the triplet set, oh, none of those guys got open. Thank God they <laughs> didn't hand through me the ball because there was nothing on the other side. <laughs> I don't know what those guys were doing. They, none of them got open. None of them were open. <laughs> Divine intervention Watch to get you film. into the Watch end zone. The <laughs> yeah. I saw it. I, I saw yeah. it. What I saw when I was watching it was every single time you got deep, they were giving you that outside release and you were just, see ya every single well, time. No, like, I was taking the outside release. <laughs> yeah i mean exactly take what you want me. i was taking it no it was just um you know it was fun it was like i said it was a matter it was just a split second dan comes up and gives me the go and bang you don't think about it you just do it you just do it we, we've done it time and time and time again so that's why it becomes second nature and that's why we're able to perform on the field so we talk about you guys kind of exploded in that second quarter, then things really got rolling in the second half for you offensively. Was there an, like a halftime adjustment or an adjustment you guys had to make in the game that maybe had to do with the weather, the mud on the field? Like what what was the what did the circumstances cause the offense to change, if at all? I think it was just we kept playing. I mean, we knew uh, we had the ability to score. We knew that we had the talent to score. We knew we had practiced together. We knew we were synced together. It was just a matter. It's like any other game where things aren't going the way you want them to go because you got somebody across on the other side of the ball trying to stop you, whether you're the offense or the defense. You have an opponent who has talent, who has ability, who has a game plan trying to stop you. So you just keep plugging. You keep plugging. And usually the stronger team wins. The ones who can keep plugging and keep their intensity and keep their consistency in terms of pushing and pushing and pushing near the end of the game, near that, when it starts getting towards the fourth quarter, that's when they start to prevail. And then, for, and then also for us, remember, it was the first game of the season. Mm-hmm. So it's hotter in Miami than it is in New England. So the Heat probably played a little uh, factor in, in it too in terms of them not being – uh, as spry as they were earlier in the game. Yeah, we love having that home field advantage. And I'll leave you with this question, Irving. I'm curious to get your take because that day it was a sandbox. I mean, that, that infield dirt was just so messy and clunky. And yeah. I mean, I don't know how you get your footing in that, but I'm curious to ask you, you, it's either that or the typical, like you mentioned, the September heat in Miami is, is brutal and you get that basically concrete infield dirt surface. Which one of those two is worse? Well, you know what? When it's hard, you, you, your cleats don't dig in, and sometimes you you, you kind of slide across the uh, the uh, the dirt. When it's soft like that, when it's real soft like that, then obviously it's muddy. You can't really make cuts. Your feet uh, accumulate the mud, and it gets heavy, and it gets dirty. <laughs> um, I guess if I had to have my choice, 
I would take the harder surface for sure. The harder surface for sure. Either way, it, the advantage goes to the offense because the offense knows where they're going, particularly a receiver. The receiver knows where he's going, and the defensive back doesn't know where he's going. So the defensive back has to react. And reaction always takes a little bit longer than the action. And their reactions were definitely slow on that day. Five catches, over 200 yards, three touchdowns. Irving, we really appreciate your time, man. This was awesome. You're the man. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it, uh, Travis. Take care of yourself, all right? You as well. Thanks. All righty. And away he goes. Irving Fryer, 1993, arrives in Miami. Two Pro Bowl seasons, leaves for Philadelphia after the 95 season started. All 48 games that he was here with the Miami Dolphins. Caught a bunch of footballs, 199 catches in three years, 3,190 yards, 20 touchdowns. He was a production machine. I shortchanged him one year in his career. He did play 17 years in his NFL career because, well, I can't add up. Nine plus three plus three plus two. Nine years in New England, three in Miami, three in Philly, and two up in Washington. But 17-year professional career for Irving Fryer. What a great guest he was. Some great stories there about Marino and Shula. The infield dirt there at Joe Robbie slash Pro Player Stadium slash now Hard Rock Stadium. Just a really fun interview. We have the article up on MiamiDolphins.com. And my goodness, he dropped a perfect quote to start that story off with. So Irving Fryer, Flashback Friday, 94 Patriots and Dolphins. Dolphins win 39-35. We're going to open back up the suggestions for next week's Flashback as we have now covered Super Bowl Seven, the 85 Bears and Dolphins tilt. Now this contest, the 2003 Thanksgiving game, we covered 2 in Denver, and of course the Wildcat game in 2008. So send me some suggestions for next week. What do you want to hear about? I think we covered most of the suggestions we've gotten so far, but we can continue to do these things, get us through the offseason, get us through the down period here and try to marry up some of the current content with flashback content and get you everything you need to know about your Miami Dolphins. But as for today's podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you have a question you want to hear answered on the podcast, leave it in a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and I will get to those periodically throughout the week. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast. They have an episode next week with Ricky Williams coming out. That is cannot miss content, as well as the Audible Podcast every week with John and Bo. MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.